Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike German, and we heard the friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Guys, there's so much going on. Uh, a couple things out of the way. Uh, first of all, Max, you had a birthday uh, last weekend. I did. You did? Was this one of those, like, you know, birthdays for a month type thing? <laughs> you have a party and then you have another party. Like, what w- what happened here with the birthday? Oh, it, well, it was it was not actually on my birthday day, but it was oh, the okay. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And you guys were invited, but you guys had to work. You guys had your uh, your shoot. See, Mike gets what I'm doing right now. I get what Shane's doing. Max is totally oblivious to my Max imitation that I'm doing of him and oh. <laughs> recreating what you did for Mike's birthday, where I'm yes. playing oblivious, like I don't know when your birthday is, and oh, that I, yes, I, yes, yes. I, okay. we both missed your party, and I'm playing aloof a little bit. Okay, over my head. Well, I want to hear about this party because it was it was a multifaceted party. There was like a screening mm-hmm. of the new Beatles doc, which we we're going to talk yep. about. And then also there was sort of like a nighttime element component that seemed really fun. But like you said, Shane and I weren't able to attend, which we felt uh, bad about because you are one of our, our closest and greatest friends. But we were, we were on set uh, shooting this new sketch comedy show, which we've been talking about. But we'll get to that. There's a whole other mm-hmm. thing going on, too. Uh, you were playing the Grey Cup. In mm-hmm. Hamilton, Ontario, mm-hmm. and I think, like in a long shot bid, uh, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the hometown team, made it to the Grey Cup. I'm not like an avid follower of the CFL, but all I know is that this is like a big deal because now we're gonna have our own tabbies, the Tiger Cats, in the Grey Cup at Tim Hortons Field. Our Kells, Hamilton's own, playing the halftime show. This feels like a big deal. Max, were you watching that game? Like, God damn, we need these Tiger Cats to win. I, it will lift I was. The energy. I was watching it because I was because I was thinking. I was like, you know, if the Argos win. Win, everybody in town isn't going to be excited to see the game because everyone hates the Toronto Argos in, in, in town. But now that the Tiger Cats are in, everyone's going to be drunk all week long. You're like, you know, in December, we kick off like the Christmas party season. And yeah. obviously that hasn't been able to happen been happening in the last year and a half or whatever. I guess we've missed one good Christmas season. But this year, it feels like Christmas activities are back on the books. And usually they start like December 9th, December 10th. But now I think they're starting like tonight. I think people in Hamilton are going to be drunk all week long just with excitement for the for the weekend. Right? Do you, yeah, do you agree? Yeah. But does that worry you, though, that maybe by the time the Grey Cup happens, they'll all be hung over? Yeah, the energy levels at the game are yes. like, like nobody shows up because everyone's just like, I can't make it. Yeah, that happened to me. People party too hard before my wedding and then they didn't want to party the day of the wedding. Oh yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be careful. But I trust the the people of Hamiltonian Hamilton Hamiltonian the people of Hamilton and their party instincts. Uh, they'll kick in at the right time, right? Big time. It's very exciting. Can you give us uh, any tidbits? How is how are rehearsals going? Rehearsals are intense. I gotta say, like we're, we're it's it's a lot. You know, fifteen minutes of uh, of music on television is is a tall order because most people, myself included. If stuff's boring on TV, you know, you just flip the channel. And if you're not doing a lot of stuff, uh, musically speaking, um, you, people are going to change the channel. So we got to we gotta figure out how to keep people invested and interested. Like, so every eight seconds, there's a scene change. There's stuff going on for all 15 minutes. How many outfits we talk in here? Nah, the, maybe, maybe just two. Maybe there might be just like, it's hard to change in the middle of a 15-minute thing. But I do want to talk about... Um, the Lumineers coming to town and also uh, the big announce that that our friend and, and host of the show, Mike Bierman, was was very much a part of. Um, a little backstory, you know, when the CFL reached out to us to, for us to do the Great Cup, we're like, okay, how do we make this exciting? How do we make this interesting? How do we provide a big surprise for people? Um, 
And, you know, I think there was a lot of ideas being thrown around. It was like, oh, what's another, you know, Canadian band you can team up with? Which would make sense to a degree because, you know, it's a Canadian show. But we are always of the mind, like, ah, if we can get something that's, like, big and international, somebody that's more famous than us to show up and do the show with us, and, like, <laughs> that would be really exciting. And it would be a great, I think, moment for Hamilton, you know, to have international talent coming through and seeing our town. So we reached out uh, to the Lumineers, uh, who are one of our favorite bands um, and great timeless songwriters and great performers. And they were down. They were like, oh, yeah, we're in Chicago. Yeah, we got a few days off. Yeah, we'll come do it. <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's very exciting. So so they've been very much a part of the creative. We're going to be do- trading a couple songs with them during the show. I'm not going to tell you which ones. And they've been amazing to collaborate with. They've been very chill in all the right ways, but also very curious and in tune in all the right ways as well um so yeah we're, we're, we're so excited you know a lot of people have been telling me that the last show they saw before the pandemic was the lumineers at scotiabank arena and the first show they saw back after the pandemic was arkell's at budweiser stage so there is uh, some symmetry there uh, which is great but um what i want to talk about is uh we had another shoot because i know on the previous podcast we talked about the writing and production of our bed skit to announce that we're in the great cup. When we found that the Lumineers were on board, we're like, God damn it. We got to do this all over again. How are we going <laughs> to, how are we going to pull this off? And, um, Mike Veerman was even more involved. Not only did he write it like he did the last time, but he also directed it and edited it. Mike from your POV, what was the, the, the experience like, uh, walk, walk our listeners through, uh, the beginning stages uh, to the completion of of that promo video with TSN's Jay Onright. Yes, Jay. Jay's amazing, and we'll get to him. But to get this story right, we have to go back a little further, Max, before the call uh, about doing this, which was a Monday morning or Monday around noon. But so Shane and I were working on this sketch show, um, obviously, that Shane and Jillian star in, and we wrapped on Sunday night. So the last place that we shot as a location happened to be uh, Shane's uh, in-laws, like John and Lorna. So we we wrapped sort of shooting the last sketch we do at their beautiful house. And they had sort of planned like after, you know, after you guys wrap, let's hang, have some food, have a drink. So, Max, this kind of goes back to our listeners. know John has been trying to get you out of the, to the cottage for for, you know, half a year now. It feels like back to the summer, obviously. But uh, Shaney and I basically did, you know, what felt like equated to a cottage hang where John literally was just pouring whiskeys. And because Shane and I had been <laughs> shooting for like two weeks straight and there's a lot of like sort of like pressure and stress when you're doing one of these shoots it was nice to sort of unwind so we ended up burning it down with john lamparski uh until the wee hours of sunday morning it was past unwinding there there comes a point where you're going so far beyond unwinding you're actually doing yourself a huge disservice and that's what happened and i had never seen john stay up past midnight i would say his my father-in-law john his bedtime is probably 10 every night at the latest we were up till 3 a.m. When I say wow. we, I was just a spectator in the John and Mike Veerman show. They were playing songs <laughs> and like, I don't know, falling in love with each other. Uh, but yeah, Did it you was feel thread, Shane, as the as the previously most beloved y- y- younger male who's not a Lamparski. Yeah, well, of course I did, because he John, <laughs> a lot of times John will point out how we're so different. 
And with Mike, mm. he's just like, I'm exactly like you, Mike. I'm exactly <laughs> like you. And well, like he talks about the pod a lot. He's, he's a big pod fan. And he'd be like, Max and I are exactly alike. Mike and I are exactly alike, you know, and we can't connect in the way that him and Mike can because they're both musical and they can share songs. And I'm not musical. So I, I'm just a spectator and I'm enjoying being a spectator. There are a lot of drinks were happening and the next morning it, my head hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you unwinded and then you sort of wound yourself back up by being really hungover. Oh, and yeah. And this unable was to do any of your real life uh, work. Multiple right? <laughs> days of waking up at around 4 a.m. and going till very late in the night. And so it's up at four asleep at usually one to two when you're having a shoot and then partying till three. By the time Monday rolls around, you're, you're not feeling too hot. So this is when Mikey gets the call, I presume, when you were feeling probably at your lowest point. That's exactly where, where it brought me. Mm. So, so yeah, jo I just want to say, John, amazing host, amazing hang. You know, we really get each other and I can't wait until we party again. <laughs> um, but that does bring us to the moment where I'm just like, like Shane said, and I, I like, we don't, I don't really drink hard liquor. And it was like, he was doing heavy pours. So I just had a headache and I was like, kind of in like rough shape. And then I get a, I get the call and you're like, Hey, like we're doing the Lumineers. Like, let's have a brain. Let's, let's start cooking ideas. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm a disaster right now. I'm like, I'm like, but fuck it. Let's do it. I'm like, my brain is soaked. Let's see what we come up with. Um, so I, uh, yeah, we started sort of brainstorming throwing out ideas. You're like Jay, Jay on rides down. You're like, it's Lumineers. And we just start like kind of throwing stuff at the wall and uh, we get there, we get to the idea where Jay sort of shows up with the guitar and he, you know, he's basically pitching himself to be in the halftime show, like be the big special guest. But then the cover he chooses to play is what inspires you guys to be like, oh, we'll do the Lumineers. Jay is like sort of, oh, you know, put out and that's the sort of conceit of the bit. You're like, awesome, man. Thanks so much. Whatever. We get off the phone. I'm like, hang up. I'm like, whoo. I'm like, glad that's over. Going back to laying down and uh, drinking like a thousand gallons of water. By the way, I had no idea that you were hungover. This really proves like that you can, you know, soldier through that kind of thing. Like you have the stamina. Like if I am hungover, I'm like, don't talk to me. I'll see you in nine hours. Like the fact <laughs> that you even picked up the phone was was very impressive. Anyway, I've, yeah, I've always been able to sort of weirdly work in the worst of like circumstances in like those like short bursts. Like it's like I can give you like a real heart. Like I can go hard for 30 minutes, but then I need to excuse myself and sort of, you know, like one of those like ladies in old Victorian times. I need to just sort of lay down for a bit. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird <laughs> reference. I don't even know where I pulled that reference from. But um, yeah, so then uh, and then you guys call me back like an hour later or something. You're like, listen, we love the idea. You're like, I uh, talked to your brother. He actually had a couple ideas for like the middle of the sketch. And actually, and that showed it to Greg because Greg kind of worked out some beats. Like I think you and Greg had a chat where like you worked out some beats. And uh, and then you're like, are you are you down? Like, can you direct it? Are you like avail? And I'm like, uh, again, I'm like still dying. Like I'm just sobering up. So I'm like, oh, fuck, that's going to be like, I'm like, when are we shooting it? You're like, Jay's available Wednesday morning. This is Monday afternoon. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, okay, we got to get shooters. What are we doing this? You're like the rehearsal space. I'm like, I'm starting to try and produce it in my mind. I'm trying to assemble it. And I'm just like laying it out. And I'm like, okay, this is doable. And honestly, like at the end of the day, this was such a crazy turnaround. It's a fun idea. But ultimately too, like I didn't know if you guys, like, I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. Like I was like, I want to help out with my friends. Like I want to like, they want to get this thing done. It's really cool. It's Lumineers. It's obviously, you know, I want to, I want to be there. So, and by the way, I, sh I, I want to note that uh, on the Grey Cup uh, bed skit reveal, we had like a proper promo budget, massive team, 
Like, you know, it was very well organized. This was not in that pile. This was in the pile of, all right, we need a buddy to figure something out real quick for like very little money, like go. And uh, so a lot of the onus was on you to secure, you know, the, the camera people, uh, to, to to write the script, to edit, like everything was sort of in your hands. So you, you were carrying a much heavier weight than, uh, than the, the previous time. I, that, that's kind, but like obviously the there's challenges in every sort of shoot, whether it's a big budget shoot or, or low budget shoot and, and turnaround time. And also Ash was amazing at sort of producing this thing and helping to find shooters. I'm going to shout out the shooters right now too, Mitch Barnes and Max Smith. Uh, they came out like last minute notice and we sort of put the thing together. But um, yeah, it was like, it was fun. We did it like I was that thing where I was like, you know, making sure the script's right, trying to come up with alts, all that stuff. I sent the script to Shaney. I'm like, hey, do you got like anything here? Blah, blah. And what did I say to you? I said, no, I don't. I don't have anything. <laughs> I said, this is perfect. <laughs> I was very hungover. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I laughed my ass off. I love the script. I thought it was great in its current form. Uh, you had a, an alt. Actually, it was the main. I think you ended up using the alt. But in the, the original script, there's a part where Jay has a homemade poster. And at the end, after Arkell's kind of turned him down, he crumples the poster and throws it in the garbage. I thought that was very funny in the script. You ended up going with the, just Mike D taking the guitar away from him. But yeah, I thought it was awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And so anyway, we we, we, we made it happen and we got there and, and we shot it. And like, obviously, like I, I've shot stuff with you guys before, shorthand with the band. Jay's been on the pod and he's like the best. He's just such a pro and he sort of gets all the elements of what we were trying to sort of like do almost immediately. And he's just, his energy was great. And yeah, like uh, he delivered almost like every line there was gold. It was hard picking oh takes for God. Jay because he's so funny in every take. And like, you know, it's when you meet some of these media personalities, you're like, oh, I get it. Why they're good at their job. You know, they're gamers. They're affable. They're good at going with the flow. They're not precious. You know, it feels like a lot of times, um, you know, they they are put in situations where they have to sort of improvise anyway. Sorry, by the way, my, are you getting, getting your nails, nails done right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking the whole time. <laughs> this oh, <is> awesome. <laughs> I knew yeah, you were getting that, like talking about how these guys are like down to earth. <laughs> For our listeners, yeah. literally, I'm I'm talking, I'm explaining this story, and every once in a while, Max's hand leaves the frame of the zoom, and then I saw like <laughs> another hand holding his hand, and I'm and, and I'm like I'm in the middle of my story, so I'm like. I'm not going to comment on this now, but this is fucking weird. I'm like, is he? And then, yeah, it can no longer be ignored. Uh, uh, what, yes, what, what, so who's doing your nails? Some shout outs here. Our friend Mary. She just came over to the house. Then, okay. uh, yeah, she, she's doing my nails for the big Grey Cup show. <laughs> Exciting. Okay. Well, multitasking. It was hard to fit you. I will say Ash was very, usually like you could be a more, little more loose, but Ash was like, we need to hit a window here. This is like the craziest week ever. So, yeah, and it's a busy week. So we're here. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, yeah, well, last time Mary came over to do the Grey Cup nails, this is a couple weeks ago. Ago. We ended up like doing lots of conference calls the whole the whole time she was here. We were just calling people, bugging them for stuff. We might have been calling you, Mike. I don't know. Uh, but Do you uh, like that because maybe you feel while you're getting your nails done, it can be awkward and you don't want to be like chatting to the person doing the nails. So you're always no. making sure you're doing press. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I'd have lots to talk to about uh, with with Mary here. Okay. But uh, it is it is a it is a work day. It is a Monday mm -hmm. at you know uh, ten forty five a.m. So I do have stuff to do. Um, but anyway, back to Jay Onright. Jay is so funny and he's such a great actor in a lot of ways, right? Because I think it's a big part of his 
persona on television is that he's more than just a newsman. Like he is a comedian. And mm-hmm. so when he was running the lines, like Mike, one of the things I'm always really impressed with when it comes to like comedic actors is how they can say the same line, uh, seven different ways. And what, what was an example of a line that he did a bunch of different times and you just kind of had to choose your favorite one? Um, oh yeah. Like which line was it that he did a bunch? He had a few. So like there, there was a line that I ended up cutting for time where basically you're like, we're gonna get the Lumineers. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what? And then it kind of, it would go maybe to the thing and then it would come back to him. And he's like, as you guys are celebrating, I was going to have him be like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was suggesting. And he's sort of sarcastically that's exactly what I was that that is exactly what I was suggest that's exactly what I was suggesting. <laughs> like the emphasis he puts on different words was so funny and different each time. Like he he just ha- he got it and he would give me a bunch of really good stuff and he sort of did that on on all the lines. Um yeah, he was just like, yeah, he's really really damn funny. Also, I think I was telling my brother this I think the funniest Arkell, if I had to pick, is easily yeah. Tony. It's Tony. Tony yeah. always makes me laugh. He delivers lines perfectly. He gives you a, a wide spectrum of performances to choose from in the edit. And he never doesn't mm-hmm. not make me laugh. He's just a natural performer. Well, he appreciates comedy on a special level, too. When I did the digital dessert with Arkells, he was the only one who was laughing throughout the entire time. And he was laughing so hard, he was crying. And it really gave me confidence because everyone else was very not liking me for that. So, <laughs> But yeah, I love no, Tony. Tony's very funny. Another thing about Tony is that he doesn't want the attention either. He's like, no, I no, you don't need me. But every time we throw him into something that requires him to speak, he's always amazing. And he's also such an incredible physical performer too, like... He's a pretty low key guy, but get him on stage and he, he has all these like acrobatic moves, right? Like he's like his legs are up on top of the piano. He's dancing around like he, he really like has a switch that gets turned on. And yeah, so props to Tony. Tony's yeah, awesome. he has like all the best attributes of the Arkells into one guy because he's a little bit like Nick, but he can be a showman like you when he needs to be. He's he's really got it all. Um, he, yeah, he has a look in the Nick Nurse one that really makes me laugh. And then in this one, I got a look and we got a line out of him, which is when he turns to Tim and he's like, uh, I almost said that it's just, he delivers it perfectly. But, uh, yeah, no, it was really fun to do. And, uh, man, like, uh, yeah, it was great. So it was good. Good time. Okay. But what I want to say, and, and this is kind of like one of those moments that you have sometimes, maybe it's like with your parent or something, if you're like, you see your parent in a different light because you know them as one person. But then when you see them at their job talking to people, you zoom out and you go, oh, this person is really talented or qualified or has this whole other skill set and part of their life that I never really see. And, you know, Mike, you know, when we're at a bar and stuff like that, you'd be like, I'm a writer-director, I'm a writer-director. And I'm, and I know it probably feels pretty cool to tell to random strangers that, like, I'm a writer-director, this is cool. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. And in my mind, maybe the ego part of me goes like, I could be a writer-director too. That's not that hard. You know, it's like, it sounds pretty <laughs> awesome. But honestly, Mike, I got to say, seeing you in action, uh, directing not only the band, but, you know, a talent like Jay Onright, but also communicating with the shooters. It, it was so cool. Like, honestly, just to see the amount of things, the checklist that you had that you have to uh, kind of just be accounted for th- throughout the whole thing. I was like, oh, that's my friend, Mike. He is a director. Look at him go. <laughs> and, it's, and, and I was like, I couldn't do this at all. This would be so, this would be so over my head. And the amount of details... Like, you know, because I think of myself as like a creative person that can like pull together, you know, concepts and create stuff. 
But I'm like, oh, but the devil's in the details. And I have no details for anything. And so I can kind of broadly say, this is kind of, I want a vibe where it's like fly on the wall, doc style. Uh, it needs to be 45 to 60 seconds. This is sort of the tone. But anything beyond that, I just could not possibly do. So to see you, Mike, execute all this, obviously in a tiny window, you get the footage, you go home, you have to ed edit the whole thing, and it has to be out by the next morning. Keep in mind, folks, the, the timeline is we're shooting with Jay Tuesday from 11 till 12. Mike has to go home, edit it, and it has to be out Wednesday morning. Like I was like, oh my God. Anyway, so I just want to give a huge shout out to Mike and uh because I got to see you in a different light uh, that was more than just like us riffing on the phone or more than you just saying that you're a writer director to people at the bar. Uh, <laughs> and it was, and it really, I was like, oh my God, look at him. He is that. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, so huge, huge shout out uh, to, to you, Mike. And because uh, yeah. all your skills and your talents were on display for, for me to appreciate. It was very cool. Yeah. And s sometimes you see a guy on set and he's directing and it's like, this guy's a pro. And then you see the finished product and you're like, wow, this is shit. He seemed good on set, <laughs> but this kind of sucks. This has happened to me before where I've been impressed and then unimpressed. But when I saw the the edit and so much, it's so hard to get the nuance in the edit. And the fact that Mike did that and it turned out the way it did. Mm. And you, you, every director, when they look at a piece, you either say, oh, I could have done better than that or I couldn't do that. But when I saw how well it turned out, I definitely said to myself, I couldn't have done it that well. Oh, my God. Mike, yeah, uh, just such a good for... Job. Um, what would you say, let's do a little inside baseball here. Um, what would you say were the parts, the, the nuance of the shoot itself and the nuance of the edit that makes it a strong piece of comedy? Um, you know, you know, cause, cause I, I, I just spoke to some big picture ideas, but the, as I said, you know, devil's in the details. What, what, what would you say are the things that made it successful? Well, I, th I think when you start building one of these things, you have to you have to be conscious of how much time you have on the day and how much time you have to get your stuff. And sometimes like um, having a limit can be good. So we knew we only had Jay for like an hour just under an hour. He needed to be shot out early for like other obligations he had. So then I start building out, okay, I have this chunk here. I can shoot my coverage this way. I have a little more time with the band. And like we're, I'm friends with the band so that I know I, I like I'm a little more relaxed with like, although I know you guys because you went right into a rehearsal after I got out of there. So it was like you guys had a window, too. I just knew I had a little bit more. So then I was like, I knew my whole uh, Tuesday night. So the shoot was Wednesday morning. I basically was so Monday night. I finished the script Tuesday night. I grabbed Winona's stuffies. I grabbed six of her like stuffy animals. So I had five of them were you guys, which was the band. One of them was Jay. And then on my iPhone, I basically blocked out how I needed to shoot it so that when I got on set with my checklist and you saw that diagram I had that looked like a football field where I had like the band was X's and I knew where the camera needed to move and all that stuff. That is all in like prep where you basically get that done. So then when you get on, then it's like, OK, what, where are the moments in the script that I can like pull? I can just find a little joke here or there. And those are like the things like when Jay's like, you need a special guest. And then Tony's like, ah, I almost said that. You throw those in so and you shoot them, but you have to shoot alts. Like you go, okay, so if there's not enough time for that, they can just say, ah, and then go back to Jay. So you basically kind of got a bunch of things going on. When you get to the set, it's like, you got to feel the vibe. I, I like Shane, you know, it's like, I like Shane does this too. Shane actually runs a great set. Shane's an amazing director and he's being very modest. I think he 100% could have done this. Um, I think that like, uh, you just want to be loose. You want to make sure everybody's comfortable and good, but also confident that you know what the fuck you're doing and where you're going. Because if it looks like you're kind of like 
actually, can we get one more of these? And I don't think I got, if you don't have like confidence, then they're, they're going to start to feel like their time's being wasted. So it's just like that while also trying to keep it loose enough that you get funny performances. And sometimes if you're like, I need it one more time. I need it one more time. I need it one more time. You try not to burn guys out, but you're like, I know there's a better take in there. And then you just sort of get it. And then my favorite part has always been, and I feel like this has like become a weird, like, uh, you know, uh, Ted talks on writing and producing a thing. But my favorite part is always the editing. And Shane and I, like, we've always edited our own stuff. Um, I think that's where, like, you can find, like, the stuff where I'm like, you know, it's kind of magic where you're laughing out loud at a choice of a look or like the timing on a joke. And it's like, that's where I want to get to. That's the sort of the, the best part of it is, is the editing. But yeah, I th- does that answer your question? That was yeah, a very no, long it, answer. You know, it absolutely does. And, and, ba- and basically you had to go to Mitch Barnes, who's one of the shooters who graciously yes. allowed you to come over to his house on Tuesday night at 9 PM and edit the thing because your computer wouldn't work or something, right? This is the whole other thing. Oh my God. So like I get home with like this 4k footage and I've got this like Mac that is like pretty old, but it's like powerful. And it's like one of the editing machines we use through work. So I was going to edit on that. The minute I brought it in, it was lagging like crazy. And I was like, it would work in the preview window. I'm really getting the details now, but on the timeline it was lagging. And I'm Mm. like, I can't edit fucking comedy on a lag. I just can't, you can't find the timing. So I'm calling my brother up because Greg works with Premiere all the time. I'm like, what's going on? I'm FaceTiming with him. I'm like, why isn't this working? And he's like, oh, bro. He's like, yeah. He's like, it might be your machine. It's 4K footage. So we're trying to find workarounds. I call up Mitch Barnes, who obviously was DP on it. And I'm like, what's the, what's the deal, man? He's like, yeah, I think it's your I think it's your computer or your hard drive. He's like, but uh, I'm like, we got to turn this around. I'm like, they need to like, this is coming out tomorrow at noon. Um, he's like, listen, man. He's like, it's cool if you want to like come over and like just use my office. I'll just leave you in there and you can just like work and edit it. And I'm like, am I really going to go over who this guy that I literally just met this morning uh, on the <laughs> drive out to Etobicoke? I'm like, you know what, man, if you're around, like whatever to get the job done. He's like, totally. So I pop over to his house at uh, like 530. Him and his like partner, she's making like dinner. They just got this new cat named Bowie. And so like now I'm <laughs> hanging out in this domestic situation and I'm like, thanks for letting me crash your place. And she's like, yeah, it's cool. And then I go into the office. He sets me up. We, we, we do the hard drive. He's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go out and like watch whatever their like Tuesday night show is or Wednesday night show is that he watched. So they're just having their regular night with their dinner and their thing. And I'm in his office with the door closed, just like editing away. And he's like, hey, you want some water? And then he came in and he actually colored it, uh, color corrected it and mixed it, which was nice. Um, he was great at that. And it looks so nice because he did do such a great color that night, but got it all done. And wow. then like even walking out, I'm like, Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> a good it sketch was just would be you're you're in the editing room, but they start having like a dispute outside and you're like trapped and you can't leave. <laughs> the, one of the things that which I love about this whole story, and obviously like this a lot of this is predicated on like me knowing a professional writer director like Mike and him being up for doing it. Like uh, it's predicated on that relationship. It's predicated on the on the fact that I can text Jay on right and go, Hey Jay, like we have this thing, you know, we want to announce the Lumineers, you know, it's going to be on TSN. Would you mind doing it? And him being such a gamer, uh, to do it. So, so, so the, the success of it does lie in the relationships, but I do want to say it just came from everybody caring and everybody wanting to do it. And I think, you know, it's it's easy maybe to for somebody who's maybe in a smaller band or who doesn't 
who who just sees the final product and goes, oh yeah, they they, they get everything. You know, Arkells get you know look look at this fun thing they got to do. But like we had to do it, <laughs> like and everybody had had to. It wasn't like people were being chauffeured around or anything. It was like I desperately called you. You're up to do it. <laughs> I called Jay. Jay's such a sweet guy, and we made it ourselves. And and so this idea that people come offering us these ideas is happens about. I don't know, 0% of the time. Like, <laughs> do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So anyway, if, if you're a young person out there trying to like do fun things in media, you just got to keep asking and keep relying on your friends, keep building your your friend networks that you people that you like to work with because that's how anything gets done. Anyway, that that's that's my TED talk. It's a good TED talk. It's a good t- and you guys, I've said this before, you guys have this sort of um incredible ability to make stuff exist where it didn't before just by trying to make it happen you know what i mean and just going for it and i yeah yeah well you made a sketch comedy show happen out of nowhere shane you manifested (laughs) shane you know you you know shane you have a similar instinct i mean obviously like the empire that is this family tree is that you know the sketch comedy show is that all this the comedy that you did before that was just like you wanting to do it so yeah no absolutely you you, you share the same characteristic and it's a good a lot of people they wait till they have all the right things in place or the right budget this is a good example of something borderline no budget and it's i would say it's Mm -hmm. just as good as the cfl video yeah i mean in a different way it's just as good yeah it's a different concept you know and it's but it's executed with the same level of entertainment yeah absolutely wow um that that was that that was enough mutual admiration society that was like a nice long uh pat on the back for all of us uh but it's always cool to do this is our i i think the sort of the theme or whatever the mission statement of our podcast has always been do cool shit with friends and it's like always worth it whether it's this podcast the comedy show or just you know knocking out these fun sketches and stuff like that well the sketch show is a good lesson because as you know mike's just because you have higher production value on one sketch that doesn't make it any funnier than the one that has like costs us nothing. In fact, the one that costs us nothing might be the funniest sketch. Yeah, so that's, that's a good tease. Yeah, that's a, and everyone that sees the pilot's going to be like, "What's the cheap?" <laughs> oh, the you'll be able to tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, is there anything else? Like, well, like the, I mean, we got topics, but like, I'm almost like, I'm almost more interested in this, like this, uh, this Hamilton tie cat party. Uh, you know, it's crazy that the tie cats are actually in this game. I've got many things. Well, yeah, 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 I'm interested in. But yeah, continue. Sorry. No, Shaney, hit us. I lead it. Well, first and foremost, and not to be selfish here, but do we have tickets to the show? Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know what to do because I have a babysitter, not to be presumptuous, but I got a babysitter <laughs> for that night. And she's asking me, like, what time the game is, how long. And I'm, I had to break it down and be honest and say, I don't even know if I'm going to the game, really. So, OK, well, um, a couple of things. Yes. Um, and it's in fine terms of. T- no, no, no. In terms of tickets to the actual thing, I don't know where we're at with that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to come just for the halftime show, there is uh, room in the in the pit, uh, but you have to probably uh, leave the premises after um, gotcha. after the halftime show is done. Uh, and there's probably going to be some after party. So get a sitter no matter what. And uh, we'll, we'll like you know we're in work mode all week long, uh, mm-hmm. but when the game is over, we will want a party. So uh, okay. so either way, you need a sitter and you should take Monday off. So in other words, there's like if we're putting percentages on odds here, I wouldn't put my money on. I'm going to be at the game. No, you know, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. But uh, I'll, if it is possible, I'll have to find other means and I can't necessarily go through my good buddy, Max, who I would have directed no, no, no. the halftime's Lumineer spot if Mike couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm just saying no, you it, can it, it is absolutely. 
it is absolutely possible that your buddy Max will come through with tickets to the game. It's also absolutely possible that he has no more tickets. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, second question. Okay, the Ron yeah. Kells thing. Is that real oh, or yeah. is this a publicity stunt? No, it's absolutely real as far as I can tell. We uh, got the note. We weren't even going to share it. We were just uh, we're kind of a, set, set internal... it up for our listeners. Although most listeners probably realize what's happening because they're Arkells fans. Yeah. So we got an email to the band account <clears throat> saying from a Ron Kells saying we need to we have we all have a big problem. It reads funnier than what I'm going to say, but it, uh, we all have a big problem. You can't use my name on you know TV. We're going to have to do something about this. You can't play the Grey Cup because you're using my name and my name. I own that. I own the name R. Kells because his name would be R. Kells. Uh, we thought it was funny. I threw it in the band chat. We all had a good laugh over it. He sent another one the next day. And we're like, is this person sort of unwell or is this person just having a laugh or is he actually serious? Like, well, what is it? We've actually gotten like two more emails from him, but we've sort of just been ignoring it. I don't know if he's seen the social media around it because every radio station across the country seems to be loving this. And, you know, the Hamilton Spectator wrote an article about it. Um, so as far as I know, it's real, but also maybe it's a, a fan that has a great sense of humor and is duping all of us. But I can tell you it is not a publicity stunt on our end, but it has turned into a publicity stunt in a way. Because everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Shane? Do you, th- do you think it's real? I don't know. I was trying to figure it out. I, I had a theory that maybe you came up with it because you're always coming up with schemes to get publicity. And I thought, this seems like it's in the world <laughs> of Max trying to be inspired by Nathan Fielder. So you could have done something like this. And s- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. that. That's like too out there. A lot of people for, thought for it was me brain. who came up with it too. They've been messaging me. A couple people have claimed to be Ron Kells. It messaged me <laughs> in, in an attempt the real, yeah. in an attempt to get on the Shane surprise. Who was who attempting that? I don't know who they are. They're just random people. Mm. But I did talk to one guy who I'm I was wondering if it is really him or not. But I've I've got him and he can be on the Shane surprise today. Is he is he available right now? He is. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let, let's do it. Let's are we transition. This is exciting. Are we going right into this? Yeah, Let's so I in the chain surprise. So his Zoom won't show a picture, but I've talked to him on the phone. Okay, so he sounds like he's between fifty and seventy. I'm not sure. He sent me a photo of how he looks. So it's he. The photo looks like how he is. His Zoom doesn't. His laptop doesn't show photos of him. Wait, I'm just going to take a picture just because it looks funny. With Ron Kells wants to come in right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let him in. If this is J.R. Diggs. I'm it's gonna be it's off. not. I assure you, I have no clue if this guy is pranking. <laughs> if he is pranking, he's very good and very convincing. Okay. So this is Ron. This is very exciting. Max, are you nervous? Are you excited? A little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. Okay. Here we go. I'm letting him in now. Good day. Hello. Hello. Is this Ron? This is Ron Kells. Yes, sir. Oh, my good. I I mean, everybody in the country seems to be wanting to get a hold of you, Ron. Um, we did not divulge your phone number. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Shane, you lead the interview. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. So, so basically, okay, so Arkells have been around for years, like I think over a decade. Why come out of the woodwork just now? That's the part I don't understand. Well, because I'm a big uh, CFL fan and... Uh, 
I, I thought it was my <clears throat> duty to uh, expose these guys. This, uh, I was born and raised Ron Kells. And by golly, I'm going to die, Ron Kells. <laughs> and uh, I think that I should be given some kind of credit or recognition for them uh, blatantly stealing my name. Where, did you hear of us for the first time during the CFL promo ads? As a matter of fact, I did. Well, okay. What kind of music do you normally listen to, Ron? What do I listen to? Yeah. Um, well. I like their early stuff. If you're talking about the Arkells in particular, the no, 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 no. Your your other fa- your other kind of favorite music, just other bands. Seventies, eighties, nineties music. I listen to. I'm I'm an old guy, old pensioner, which uh, does doesn't appreciate being uh, ripped off by these uh, imposters. <laughs> wait, wait so, so you listen to their older stuff, but you, you just found out about them. I'm confused. Did you? Know Arkells when they first came out? Oh, uh, not really. My uh, nieces and nephews got me sort of into that, that they're kind of a happening band. I've always been uh, somewhat pro-Canadian bands, like to watch the ones that uh, come up. Hmm. Do you enjoy any of the Arkells songs? Yes. Uh, Boss is coming. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's it. Ron, What? Um, who's your favorite CFL team? Uh, I hate to say it. Uh, living in Hamilton, I'm a Toronto Argonaut fan. Whoa. Wow. Ron. Wow. I will I say. Nothing is easy for me. Hey, Ron, uh, this is Mike. I, I'm very, um, I got to say, it's pretty antagonistic to go after Hamilton's favorite sons, the Arkells, and also, as a Hamiltonian say, you love the Toronto Argonauts. Are, are you worried about going after the Arkells this way? Not at all. I'm the original Arkell. <laughs> okay, Ron. <clears throat> Imposters, they say that uh, because they grew up on uh, Arkell Street, that's where they got the name, but uh, I don't think so. Ron, okay, here's the, here's the deal, Ron. Our, our listeners need to know if you are truly Ron Kells, and I, I know one way to solve this. Um, what is your phone number, Ron? Because the phone number was in the email. What is my phone number? Yeah, we'll bleep it out. We will bleep it out, but I, I want to be able sure to... Sure you will. I don't know if I trust you guys. I trust you guys about as much as I trust the Arkells. Well, this, well Ron... This is Max Ron, from okay, the Arkells, Ron. I'm not sure if we made that well, clear. Ron, I want to say... Oh, because, this is Max. This is Max with the curly you're, hair. You're the, you're the thief. <laughs> Ron's Ron, really not a fan. He, here's, yeah. he isn't a fan. Ron, here's the deal, though, because I know I'm a little suspicious right now. I'm going to be honest with you, because you say you're from, uh, you live in Hamilton, you root for Toronto. Uh, the Ron Kells that, that, that told us to call him does not have an area code from either of those places. So, um, mm. so now I'm suspicious. And I, and I need you... You don't. You can even um, type your phone number into the group chat if you're able to do that, or you can just tell it to me, and I can confirm or deny whether this is the real Ron Kells or an imposter. Well, I'm I'm sorry that you don't believe me because I I, I really don't believe in you guys anymore. (laughs) It doesn't seem like you ever did, especially 
Especially your, your, your new song, your your swing, swing, swing. <laughs> I hope you don't play that on, uh, on there because that, that's, oh. that's, that's that's crap, crap, crap. No, Ron, have some respect. <laughs> have some respect. You're coming on our pod. You're a guest, but uh, let's let's keep let's keep the insults a little a little to a lesser Jeez, degree. Ron, wow, Th- that was. How did you funny. get in touch with Shane? Pardon me. How did you get in touch with Shane? Uh, Shane and I are old friends. <laughs> so this we can Ron establish Kels. that Ron is a pathological liar right now. <laughs> well, Ron is older and we're friends, but I, I wouldn't say we're old friends. He, <laughs> he contacted me through Instagram. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I am old. The pensioner, and I don't appreciate being being ripped off or taken advantage of. Okay, you, know, you must right. have worked. You must have worked for the government at one time, ripping off seniors. Oh well, this I think this, he did. Max did, I think, at one point. I worked for the city of Toronto oh. uh, as a. Oh, that that explains it. Jeez! Wow! Wow! Well, I hope All either right, way that uh, I hope everybody tunes into the Great Cup show with the, with with the Arkells and the pensioners. Any, that will be good. I might uh, just tune that part out. Oh, okay. Halftime show. I don't know. I, I was proud at first when you when you guys were up, upcoming on that. Now I'm I'm somewhat uh, disappointed. <laughs> the story <laughs> in your story. Yeah, the story. You said you never heard of us. Yeah, in, until recently. Before the Great Cup, you guys really need to. Uh, Perhaps talk to my lawyer and, and, and change your name. Oh, okay. Or, uh, or grease my palm a little bit. Oh. Well, how much money would it... That's a good question. How much money would it take, if any, Ron, to make this go away, this huge problem for the Arkells? Actually, no amount of money. Wow. However, in this case, Christmas is coming in that, but $1,500 would do nicely. <laughs> <laughs> so no amount of money but fifteen hundred dollars. Fifteen hundred bucks. I think <laughs> Well well Ron, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we're gonna talk to Max about that money. I really do appreciate it and uh I hope this can be resolved. Well, so do I. Like I said, I, I'm the original Arkell and, and and at least uh I, I deserve some kind of recognition. All right. All well, right. Okay. Well th- thanks, Ron. Uh, Our lawyers will be in touch. Thank you very much. Hope so soon. Christmas (laughs) is coming fast. All right. Facts. All right. right. I don't know how to get Ron off the line now, guys, so we might have to say goodbye with him on. Unless we we continue after this. I don't know. Do you not know how to work a Zoom? You just... uh... Oh, how do I kick Ron out? Not that I want to be mean. Oh, can I just kick him out? I don't know. He (laughs) has to leave on his own terms. I I can click off. Okay, yeah. Yeah. See you, Ron. All right. Bye, Ron. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. I think he's gone. Okay, so what do we okay. think of that? Is that real or is that fake? I think it's fake. Okay. Mm. Mm. Interesting, yeah. though, because he's he's older. Like, he's definitely older. He sent me a photo of himself. He had me off the top. I will say, off the top, I was like, there's a chance. But when... The, the the Toronto Hamilton thing didn't really line up. Okay, is that him? Yeah, that's Ron Kells. <laughs> so you don't know him? No, Chant. This is this isn't like an uncle of yours or something. No, I don't know him. 
Wow. Max, what did you think of that number? 1500 Feel reasonable? 1500 bucks? No, of course not. We have no, no, no reason to pay that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Got I love here. it. I love it. Yeah. Um, We're standing firm. Stay. That's say. You guys have the name. I mean, the street exists, so I don't know if Ron has a case. What's yeah. what's the original street named after? Is that a person or is that like uh, a- probably some old dude from England? I imagine. I don't know. <laughs> well, the spelling is a is a crucial loophole to get you out of the the fifteen hundred bucks because R Kells sounds the same, but it's on yeah. paper it's different. Yeah, it's A R. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, speaking of bands and band names, guys, we haven't even hit the Beatles doc yet, but we've got about 12 minutes left. I, I don't know how your nails are going, Max, if you do got to get going, if they're still drying, if we got time for the yeah, Beatles let's, here. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, yeah. I All like right, the let's... Shane surprise kind of at the 70% mark of the pot. It's it was nice. Yeah. Uh, it was nice. Um, also, I, uh, yeah, uh, for our listeners, as we're doing this, Shane and I both have screens up where uh, the sketch show is being colored, like a remote link. And every time I look over it, it just, it looks amazing. This is you sitting oh, in an office, right? Yeah, oh, do you see excited. the shot? Oh, you, yeah. I had to exit because it was uh, making so much noise, but yeah. Looks real good. Um, uh, Max, you always want early edits. I Yo, so Shaney, when I was on set with these guys on Wednesday, uh, obviously like Max is like, what's going on with the sketch show? Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, oh, we got like a cut. And I showed him sketch one, I'll call it. So I don't give anything away. What? But I didn't, no, no, no. What did I do, Max? You didn't show it to me. I showed him I the pissed. I showed him the first two seconds where you say the opening line where it's like, Welcome here today, not even the reveal of the person, and then I stopped it. And then he was like, Oh, come on, come on. I'm like, no early edits, no early edits. Okay. I just good. gave him enough to get him excited. Yeah. Oh, good. Um Okay, so let's get to the the Peter Jackson's Get Back, uh, the 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 music documentary to to, to sort of uh, end all music documentaries. It is the one thing that everybody's been talking about uh, uh, when it comes to sort of uh, new film releases, and then of course music documentaries. Uh, guys, have we sat through all three parts? It's over eight hours. Everybody I, caught up. I am on episode three, so I'm start. I, I'm I'm intentionally dragging it out because I'm loving it so so much, and I'm talking about it incessantly. Uh, so I'm on episode three. Shane, what about you? Yep, all three done. I think I was the first to finish of our group. Really impressive! Oh, wow, yeah. I would have. I, uh, I I did I did one and two like right away, and then just work got so busy. I didn't have a window to watch part three. And then what happened is as time kept going, I found myself kind of being like, I didn't want to watch it because I knew it would be over. Like I was like, if I watch part three, like that's it, that's the end of the journey. So I kind of found myself sort of keeping it off the board. Uh, but I finally watched it on Saturday night. Uh, and um, yeah, so I got thoughts. But uh, guys, like Max, you're saying you love it. You saw it in the theater, no, actually. Well, start, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we saw the first episode in the theater. We rented it at a movie theater and watched the first episode. It was amazing. But I kind of want to know Shane's thoughts first because Mike and I are, you know, lifelong Beatles obsessives. Shane, of course, I'm sure you like the Beatles, but you don't. They haven't occupied your mind probably in the, to this in the same way as Mike and I. So, what what were your your big takeaways? Talk about anything specific that you like or that you thought was interesting, or or even just the way the documentary was put together because the length of it is a hot button issue. Some people think it's a little too long. It is eight hours. I think a lot of people go, no, no, it has to be that long because you get to appreciate how hard it is to write music and how much monotony is included. In, in the creation of music to get it just right, to find the little moments of brilliance that ends up being the final product. Shane, take it away. Give me your, give us your thoughts. Definitely a good band. I, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think in my mind, I always thought John was more of a leader 
than he was. And I thought maybe Ringo was more of an asshole. And I think <laughs> a lot of people like to say George is the Ringo. F- yeah. For some reason, I thought Ringo was going to not be as lovable. Mm. I guess that Weird. for you guys, I guess that's really known. But for me, it wasn't. I thought George was going to be more lovable. I d- people say George is their favorite Beatle often. But George came off like a like a petulant child at points. It was he was very passive aggressive. He looked disinterested within the band, which to me would be infuriating if I was Paul, who's trying to keep everyone together. And then you have this guy who's very apathetic and John didn't seem to be too invested in the band at that point. So, yeah, I was very impressed with Paul and his leadership abilities and just how much he cared, especially having been a part of the biggest band, you think everyone would be the way John, Ringo, and George are. But Paul seemed like it was almost like the band had just begun at that point. And he had that kind mm. of excitement and enthusiasm and leadership. Oh, interesting. And it's just, it was, I don't know, it was very admirable. Uh, as far as the length, I liked the length. I liked it because when you're watching them tinker around on the guitar for 40 minutes... And then you see them tinkering a song that you know and love. It really feels like you're catching something special in the moment in real time. Whereas if it just cut to them tinkering on Let It Be or something and it opened with that, you wouldn't have that same appreciation or like aha moment. Oh, wow, that's that's Let It Be or that's Get Back. Wow, they're fucking with that song in real time and no one's ever heard it. And It's just fascinating to see Ringo and George yawning through Paul fucking around with get back yeah. like just coming <laughs> yeah. up with this great song well, the thing the the documentary does this thing that is actually a sort of a cinematic film technique it feels like where it's like the audience knows something that the characters don't know mm-hmm. which i haven't really thought about that in a do- in the in the framework of a documentary but exactly that shane it's just like oh when people are having mundane conversations but paul's over at the piano working out let it be the audience knows something special, something really important is about to happen, and nobody else on screen knows what's happening, right? Yeah. And that, that that is something that happens all the time in film, but I don't don't see that happening in documentaries as much. So I thought that was that was that was very cool. Yeah, I would argue that that device is most commonly used in documentaries more than any other genre. But people have said this so much; it's like more than a film; it's a historical document that's very important. And I was I zoning off at times? Yes. But even while I'm zoning off and scrolling Instagram, I'm still appreciating it so much and just loving the fact that it's on in the background. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what was so cool about it is, like you said, Max, we've both spent like a large part of our lives thinking a lot about the Beatles and who they were. And you read the books and you watch things like the anthology and you glean, you know, stories either through like, you know, interviews John Lennon gave to like, you know, Jan Warner of Rolling Stone or Paul gave over the years or George, you know, there's revelatory things, but nothing like them telling a story or a biographer sort of documenting it in print. Nothing will ever beat seeing it live and happen and unfold visually in real time uh, with like four of the most famous people the world has ever known you know what i mean um arguably the, the the greatest maybe definitely the biggest rock group sort of in the history of modern music and i feel like it sort of it, it framed who all they were like 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 who these four guys were at that moment but it kind of like 
like, yeah, George was petulant. By the way, it's wild. John and Ringo are 28 years old. Paul's 26 and George is 25 years old in this doc. And there's always been this dynamic where like John and Paul are the partners. They're the guys that sort of started this thing. And then George is sort of like always behind them learning how to write. But by the time they're doing this, you know, in 68 or 69 there, George has written some killer songs. Like he's, he's basically showing them all things must pass during these sessions. He's showing them something. These are like massive songs that became number one hits. And in real time, Paul is, is dismissive. He definitely big brothers him a lot. And I, and so like George definitely is pissy throughout the doc, but I also, I feel like, I feel like you could, I can understand or empathize with his position where it's like, you fucking guys always have your thing. And I'm actually bringing you good songs. And Paul's just more like, eh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm making, he's already got golden slumbers. You know, at one point he starts doing like the medley in different parts from Abbey Road, which ends up being the next record they record. And they just sort of, he brings in I Me Mine, Lennon and, and Yoko, they waltz to it, which is kind of like a passive aggressive making fun of sort of the antiquated sort of style of the song, which it is a waltz. And George talks about, he saw something on TV the night before. Um, but so I think that their relationship dynamics, the fact that Ringo... But shooting has been percentage on- matters too. So if George is one out of 10 has a decent song, it's hard. It's like, you know, when somebody who's not a great three-point shooter launches up a shot, you're going to be like, no. And then when it goes in, you'll be like, oh, okay. Like, that's okay. You shot that. So I, I can understand why they're judging George. And it's harder to detect when he's got a, a hit on his hands. I actually do agree with that. And like, if you look at George's contribution, like Sergeant Pepper, like, you know, it's not my cup of tea. So I get why sometimes they're like, oh, maybe he's making a little more simple music. And it's just very clear that even though John is a little checked out in the first, you know, part specifically in the second part, he sort of comes to life. Like Paul sees John as his partner. That's his equal. That's the guy he wants his, he wants John's approval. You know what I mean? And George is kind of this thing that they have to manage. And there's this remarkable scene uh, in part two where the Beatles didn't realize, but the director of this thing, Michael Lindsay Hogue, he in the like the, the lunchroom, he'd put a microphone secretly in this flower pot uh, and the Beatles weren't aware. So at the end of part one, spoiler alert, George quits the band. Uh, start of part two is based on trying to get him back. And they have this incredible conversation between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. They do not know they're being recorded and they're breaking down why George is so upset. And John is like, has all this empathy for George and John and George are very close. Like George ended up playing on John's records, like in the, the, the following years after the breakup. And he basically says, listen, like he basically essentially says, we did treat him like a little brother. Like we wound him, but we don't give him the bandages to heal. And then at one point, Paul says, John, like you're the leader of the group. And John very openly is like, no, like you've been the leader the last couple of years and you're the one making calls and arrangements. And it's just the most intimate look at like two of these sort of pop culture figures. Like it Mm -hmm. gives me chills still. And I think that this, this, this eight hours, and I got thoughts about the third part, but I'm not going to like, I think one and two are like incredible. Um, And three, and three is amazing too. And when you get to the rooftop, it's great. Um, but, uh, overall, like you said, like, I think it's just like, I, I think we're going to rewatch it. I think it's going to live forever. I, I've already revisited it like a couple times mm-hmm. where I just jump in and, and pop around and stuff like that. But yeah, I loved it basically because it was revelatory as far as these four guys that I've thought a lot about. It showed who they were sort of in real time, uh, as it was back then. Maxi, what about you? You know, okay. So memory is such a funny thing. And the way people remember things often has to do with like the stories we tell in the aftermath. So it's like, I think there's been a narrative over the years that it's like, oh, Billy Preston had to come in to to make the Beatles behave. Or John was kind of a prick and Paul was just trying to make people happy. Or George was the lovable one. Or like, and we, we, had, we had told ourselves all these stories about those sessions in particular. And, and I'm sure to a degree, the Beatles themselves 
probably started to remember things differently based on the interviews that people gave in the aftermath. So John did, I think, in the 70s go after Paul. And, you know, it would it would make you believe that the Let It Be sessions were quite turbulent. But then when you actually watch the footage, you go, oh, no, the story is actually quite different than what we were led to believe because of the aftermath. And so, you know, I'm, I'm taking this from the Chuck Klosterman and Bill Simmons uh, interview or their chat about the Beatles documentary. But, you know, the narrative that the Beatles were misbehaving before Billy Preston came in, that's not totally true. They were pretty well behaved the whole time. And Billy was just like kind of a nice guy to, to join and help with the arrangements because they're trying to do stuff live off the floor. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that it had more to do with the fact that they just needed somebody on the keys because yeah. they were trying to track everything in real time. So that's a misconception. Yeah, but I think Billy definitely helped just merely someone else being there who they weren't necessarily as comfortable with helped move things along. And the fact that they respected Billy Preston made things just happen faster. So I do think that narrative isn't completely inaccurate. For sure. But but I would also say that the... I don't know. They were getting, they were fucking around. It was sort of aimless. I think George Martin kept his distance from the session because, like, yeah, John was coming in late. They weren't kind of being as workmanlike as they normally would have been before. Um, I guess my only point is that, like, when you have this, like, fly on the wall document, like, that you can really spend time with, it, it does refute some of the ideas that I, at least I had in my head about, like, John Lennon, you know, really you know, having had enough of Paul, enough of the Beatles. Like, you know, the way he talks to Paul, like, like if for someone who was supposedly, like, really hated Paul and thought his music was total shit, which is the, the style of interview that John would give in the 70s, he was digging in on Get Back. He was executing amazing shows. They, they were, he was singing back up on Let It Be. He was, you know, invested in the songs. Even George, too. He he definitely feels like he's getting big brothered in the first episode, but by ep- by the end of episode two, he's like, I think we should put out Get Back as a single. Let's do that. Let's do this. Like his enthusiasm for the work, uh, you know, showed that he was more than just like you're not giving me my flowers here. Like you have to. Like he was actually invested in being in, a, in the band, and so I li- so I thought that was really interesting when it came to the well doc. for moments they were. I feel like for a lot of it they were. He was checked out. George in particular. And John, just because he was supporting some of the songs, that's just what you do when you're being civil with someone. Yeah, I guess my attitude was I just like there was moments of real partnership and brilliance in the documentary, which which they seem to genuinely enjoy, which if you were to look at the interviews in the aftermath and 70 and, you know, the way and the songs that John was writing about Paul, et cetera, et cetera, you would have led to believe that Let It Be was just brutal. Yeah, I think it was, though. And I, th- I think it's interesting mm. to see what Brutal looks like. It's not the way mm. you imagine it in your head, which people flipping tables and smashing vases. It's actually more subtle and nuanced than that. Yeah. I, it, well, you know, it's funny. Like, I actually I see I saw what you're seeing, Shane, but I also see what Max is seeing. And I did see moments of love and guys that like liked playing together and remembered That's it was real like life, to be. That's real life, though. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. But to Max's point, if. It was reported as so acrimonious, but the friendship still felt like there was still genuine affection. Whereas like when John mm-hmm. writes, you know, how do you sleep about Paul and George plays slide guitar on it? It's it's like a br- it's like the first diss track. It's this brutal, brutal song. But it's, um, 
yeah, there was just a, I think there was a lot of love in there. And I think for anyone that's ever done anything creative or collaborative creatively, it was, it like felt very like, oh, that is what it's fucking like if you're in an equal partnership, but there's dynamics everywhere and you're trying to create something. It very felt, very much felt like a, a great sort of documentation of that process, but just with the most famous people in the world with the biggest songs you've ever heard, which is what gives it its juice. Yeah. Um, Mike, did you find one, one thing that I kind of really loved, which also kind of humanized the Beatles was Lennon isn't a great musician and and he kind of makes fun of himself for being a shit guitarist and like it takes him a long time to sort of like develop his parts anyway it motivated me to keep on being a shitty guitarist so I'm like oh Lennon (laughs) can do that John's a great example of like he said like he's like he's a great songwriter and he said he's he has a quote from I think the 70s where he's like he's like listen he's like I'm an artist he's like if you give me like if you give me like a, I can't remember what he said like a hammer and a piece of wood I'll figure out a way to make music with it or noise with it like he's like I basically can create with things but he's like I'm not that guy like even George talked about his limitations right with Clapton he's like I'm not the guy that's just gonna sit down and like rip like I gotta I gotta think it out and plot my parts and it was humanizing I think in that way when you think of these like Paul was the only one that felt like a weird virtuoso where he's like his piano playing's immaculate his beeps like just he was such a fountain of songs at that time and beyond by the way like Paul's obviously his ambition and his sort of like leadership and his sort of like desperate attempt to keep the family together uh came through shiningly and his work ethic and all that stuff though it kind of showed throughout the next decade right he creates wings he ha- he easily has the most hits post beatles even though george was the had the first number one record with all things must pass um but so it's like you kind of saw the way their personalities manifested later on like john made a couple records from 70 to 75 and then he he re- he basically retired to have a son from 75 to 80 he didn't make music for 5 years clearly john is fine dropping out george works at his own pace ringo kind of does ringo you know he wants to star in movies kind of make some fun songs but paul like became like a superstar musician in the 70s there was that old joke uh, did you know that Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings? You know what I mean? And it's like, like that's how that's how successful and how many more great songs McCartney had in the tank post Beatles. Does this documentary sully George's reputation with all those people who say George is my favorite Beatle? I took a question. I don't think so. I think George might be more relatable to a lot of people that like feel like they're in a work environment where their ideas aren't heard, where they're not respected, even though they feel like they're talented. Like George is an all time talent as well. And but within the infrastructure of the Beatles, he's, you know, he's kind of like, uh, you know, you're lucky to be here, which isn't necessarily true. So I think maybe I, George I mean, is just more his related. attitude, because for Alex, who was one of those people who claimed, oh, George is my favorite Beatle, which I never believed <laughs> it, she doesn't like him anymore. He's a baby, right? Yeah, he's like he's yeah. whining through a lot of it. Yeah, I also he's think not that a good hang. He was the cute beetle, but in this documentary, he was the ugliest beetle. I think. I think wow, Paul harsh. looked amazing. I think John looked so cool with his long hair. Ringo was always dressed to the nines, and oh, like George, George. George- George you think was George dressed the cool? best. No, listen, George had some teeth issues, but it was late 60s. It was, you know, it, it, but I think George still looked really fucking like handsome and he had the best fashion in the band. Like John every day. the worst. You think so? Oh, he looked greasy, man. <laughs> George came in every day looking like he just came off like a catwalk. Like clearly oh, he cared okay. about the fashion. I don't know. I thought George looked awesome, but I agree. He was like easily the most whiny and the, the least fun hang out of the four of them. I guess I want to grow a beard now again. Because of McCartney. Paul. Oh, he looks so cool with that beard. Oh, my God. So, okay. So, uh, overall, though, I guess as we sort of... Oh, by the way, Peter Jack... There's a rumored 16-hour cut 
that Peter Jackson has or, or an 18 hour <laughs> cut. And I'm, I'm like, give it to me, give it to me. I, whatever. I got, I got the next 20 years. I got time. I want to sit through. I want to see it all. It was 60 hours of footage overall. So apparently he's got a 16 hour cut. I'm into it. Did I'm you into just it. Put a 20 year timeline on your life. My, Mike, well, what do you mean? I got that. 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I got 20 years, man. I'd like 15? more, but I'm planning for that window. Okay. Um, but, uh, but who do we think, uh, I mean, I, I, maybe we've already answered this, but like, as you guys are watching it, who do you sort of like admire or think came off the best, uh, in this documentary out of the Beatles? It's obvious Paul McCartney came the best, right? You'd have to be just a contrarian to think otherwise. God. It's a good question. I, I mean, what? It's, you know, here, here's what here's what I'd say. I think it really depends on the kind of person you are. If you're sort of like um, an artist who, you know, doesn't give a fuck about what other people think as much and, and you're sort of you roll your eyes at a lot of things and you're you think fame and all this stuff is stupid then maybe you think Lennon comes off the best. You're like, you know, Lennon, he was actually the nicest to George Harrison. He was the one trying to 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 show Paul that he needs to open his eyes. He was still writing awesome bangers. He was just like a truth teller. You probably think Lennon. If you're more of like a type A Paul McCartney kind of person who's just like desperately trying to make it work, who's a founder of energy, founder of ideas, then you like Paul the most. If you have little brother syndrome like George, you probably relate to George. I think that's kind of the beauty of the documentary. I do think that like there's some people that are watching this documentary who see Paul and go, the guy's so fucking annoying. I know people like that and I don't like that guy. No, Paul, uh, to me, Paul's like Tony. He's got all the best attributes of the rest of the band members in one guy. <laughs> John was so fucking annoying at times with... All of his jokes, like, is it just me or the Beatles not funny people and very aggravating all that? Like anytime they're playing the song and they're putting on a stupid voice, did was that not irritating? No, it was the Beatles. It's oh what my. they do. They're silly. For so long, though. Ladies it's and n- gentlemen, the bottles. Yeah, all that silly. Like, they were Beatles-esque like kids. Stuff. And I felt like, um, who's the actor? Peter Sellers. When he came yeah. in and sat down. <laughs> and they're on about all these like offshoot jokes and they're almost speaking their own weird language. And Peter's like, what are we talking about here? And then they tell him, he's like, all right, peace. I'm out of here. Yeah, I yeah. felt like Peter Sellers. I, I had enough with all those bullshit jokes. Too much. Like they are not funny people. Good musicians. though. <laughs> all right. That's it. Check out the doc. Uh, Absolutely worth your time, and I'm glad that it exists. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Next stop, Grey Cup. 